Hey, good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us on this Memorial Day weekend. I'm going to be talking about temptation and deliverance from evil because 10th Street is closed. (laughs) And as you leave here uh, going east, I will be praying for you. And remember, the Lord is with you. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So I appreciate your patience getting here. Uh, We were going to hand cheese to everyone who made it to church today because you made it through the maze, but instead we gave you cookies, and there's still some left. How about that? You can't get up during my message, though, and get them. (laughs) Hey, I'm really glad you're here. If you're visiting or it's your first time with us, we're doing a series called The Most You Can Do, and the most we can do is to pray. And so as a church family, we've really been disciplining our lives around this privilege and opportunity, not obligation, to pray to God. We have a loving Heavenly Father who calls His children to talk to Him, to listen to Him, to develop this relationship. And that's the whole picture of biblical Christianity. Most of the world, when it pursues a religion, is all about doing. And they've got to do this, and I've got to do that. And a relationship with Jesus is all about what's been done for us. And so for what everything that's been done for us, and we need to live in that relationship that everything we've needed has been done by Christ. He lived perfectly for us. He died finally for us, and he rose again from the dead on the third day. We're going through every phrase of the Lord's Prayer. This is probably one of the most well-known prayers in uh, biblical Christianity and Christians today. Even in uh, the unbelieving world knows this. And so we've gone through it to this point. We've talked about who we pray to. And again, I mentioned that he's our loving Heavenly Father, our Father in Heaven. Hallowed be your name. And then we pray about God's kingdom and his will to be done in our lives. So it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a prayer not only for the kingdom of God around us, working in a kingdom of darkness, but the kingdom of God in us, making us follow the will of God for us, to want to follow him, to want to obey him, to want to please him in all that we do. And then we pray, give us this day your daily bread our daily bread. And that's a, that's a prayer for the provision of God. Uh, as excessive as we can be as consumeristic Americans, it's really easy to think beyond today, but God really wants us to live in each day, recognizing his provision for each day, his mercy that's new every morning, that relationship that we can have with him, his provision, not just of food, but of the next breath in our lives is from the hand of God. He opens his hand. He satisfies the desire of every living thing. With every breath is an opportunity to praise and thank God for that. And you know what? We're not promised tomorrow. It's easy to work out a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. I'm a driven leader. I love those plans, but I'm not promised tomorrow. We aren't. We're promised eternity with Christ, but we're not promised tomorrow on earth. And so we want to live today where we recognize God's provision for us. And connected with God's daily provision is also God's daily forgiveness. And that's why we pray, and, because it's attached to that one, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And that's, uh, it's easy to seek God's forgiveness when we mess up, and I mess up a lot. And I love the fact that I can turn at any time where I've messed up a word I've said, a thought I've thought, 
an action I've done. And I can turn to the forgiveness that's found at the cross of Jesus Christ. And he cleanses me from my sins and I can walk away from there confident that he has forgiven me. But then we're asked to actually attach that to the way we're forgiving. And that's the hard part of this prayer, isn't it? Because uh, God did not wait for us to measure up. He didn't wait for us to say we're sorry before he sent Jesus Christ to live and die and rise from the dead. He did that out of his grace. His forgiveness is definitely a higher forgiveness than we operate with. So being grace-based rather than works-based, depending on the performance of Christ rather than our own performance, his excellent, perfect work for us, we're to forgive others the way we have been forgiven. But now we move to that area of temptation and that understanding of evil, which makes us pray this line in verse 13 of Matthew 6. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a strong value of joining together as a family to seek the Lord, to do two things in our lives. Number one, to lead us, to lead us away from temptation. And number two, to deliver us from evil. Let's talk about that because if you can just get an understanding of this to apply this when you're tempted or when you're presented with evil around you or even coping with the evil inside of you, this prayer is going to be powerful in your life. So we want to ask God to lead us. We want to be people, men and women, who follow God's leading through the power of Jesus Christ. And then we want him to deliver us. And I think as a parent, this has been a great prayer I've prayed for my kids every day. God, lead them not into temptation. When they're tempted today, show them the way out. Because God has given us everything we need to deliver us from temptation. And then, if they're surrounded with evil, Lord, deliver them. If you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, we need to be praying this for our children as we pray it for our own lives. And I think about this first point of what it looks like to follow God as he leads us. What does this look like? I've led a lot of different people over the course of ministry and leadership in ministry. And if you were to ask me, who are the most difficult people to lead? I would probably say, you know, if I could just think off my top of my head. Okay, it's those strong-willed people who want to do it their way or in no one else's way. It's that arrogant person who thinks they're greater than their capacities. And they're always falling short of my expectations and even their own expectations because of their, the way they speak. It's that foolish person who would rather change the truth than to change themselves. Those are a ton of leadership uh, just headaches when you lead someone like that. But I would honestly say the hardest person to lead is me. It's myself. The hardest person for you to lead if you're in a leadership responsibility is you. Because you wake up and I wake up every morning with certain insecurities happening in my life, certain temptations happening in my life, certain distractions there can be the feeling if someone gives you criticism that you're unappreciated. There's a, per, a picture where someone has more than you and you can be jealous. There's a, a picture of where you're driven and sometimes people don't meet your expectations. And how do you lead yourself when these things are happening? How do you lead well yourself when you are being tempted? Well, the good news for all of us is this. God is here to lead us. 
there's this notion in the Christian world that you just got to hang tough, be strong and be mighty. And because the Lord is, you know, he's going to be with you, but you're going to be the superhero as you conquer Satan's attempts to make you fall in your life. And this is just not biblical. It's not biblical. It has a greater picture of yourself than the Bible, but it's, and it's not, it's not working in our world today. We don't hang tough because of our own strength. We fall hard in our own strength. We have to hang tight with God and allow him to lead us out of temptation. When you pray this prayer, you are seeking God's hand. You're seeking his resources in your life. So let's take a look at what this might look like to follow as God leads you. And the first thing is your, your posture as you lead yourself. And we're called in the scriptures to humble ourselves and be dependent on the power of Christ in our lives. Now, when we pray this prayer, it's to a triune God. And God exists in three persons, which is different than we, than us. And, and so we pray to the will and the kingdom of the Father— We pray with the example of Jesus who lived a perfect life and now provides the provision for us to stand before God without shame or guilt. And we pray in the leading of the Holy Spirit who guides us into serving and to seeking after God. But we do this humbly and dependent on the power of Christ. When Peter, when Peter, a guy who was tempted and pursued a whole bunch of different areas and was persecuted for his faith, when he explained this to the church, this is what he said in 1 Peter 5. Verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. And so we're called to live humbly. That means we understand that better people than us have fallen. As a pastor, there have been pastors I listen to. I'm kind of addicted to different podcasts of different pastors all around the world that I listen to. And it always breaks my heart when there's a pastor who I just hold way up here, and I've listened to all their messages, and I'm, I'm kind of influenced by them to hear when they go through a moral collapse or a moral failure. I just kind of go, man, I mean, that guy was so much up here, and I mean, that guy's a better person than me, I think. I mean, he was sounding like he was better than me. But then they fall. And there's that wonder. We've got to realize that ought to humble our hearts. We, we shouldn't point the finger of, of judgment on them. We need to really go, but for the grace of God, that would be me. But that would be me. We need to humble ourselves. And then when we're tempted, we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God because it's God who is going to provide the resources for us. Everything that we need for life and godliness, P- Peter says in 1 Peter 1.3 has been provided for us so when we're tempted, God can lead us out of it. We're going to need this. And that's why um, Paul would say in Romans 13, 14, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is a way we live humbly and dependent on the power of of Christ. We put on Christ each day. So, you know, one of the things we do, and this can just be an image for us to practice, is every day we put on clothes, right? Every one of us put on clothes. What, what do you do when you put on clothes? You put on something that covers you, right? They put on something that keeps you protected from the elements. You put on something that displays an image, There's nothing more in our culture that displays more of an image. Who are you? Are you alternative? You know, are you, like at least when I was in high school, I'm really dating myself. We were preppies, okay? 
So we had to wear the Izod alligator all the time. Clothing just has an image. People kind of look at your shoes or what you're wearing. When you put on Christ, you're going, it's not my image. It's the image of Christ that I want people to see. And as you put on Christ, he's close to you. He's not distant. And he's with you when there's times of temptation. So you can turn to him. But then it says, and make no provision for the flesh. I really like that. It's literally saying that the, the term literally means starve it. Let the flesh go hangry in your life. Don't feed it. Don't feed the flesh. I remember talking to a college guy one time. He goes, oh, Joe, man, I'm really struggling with lust. It just seems like every time I look at a girl, my eyes drop, and I just objectify her, and I don't want to do that. I mean, God didn't create create women to be treated like an object. I want to give them dignity. I want to give them worth. And I said, okay, so how are you managing that each day? How are you, number one, praying and seeking God to help you in that temptation? And number two, what are you doing? What does your dorm room look like? So he went to his dorm room. And his bunk bed, okay? I looked. I mean, he was, he was in the bottom part of the bunk bed. And I looked up. There's all these pictures of Sports Illustrated swimsuit models. Like, from the moment you wake up, you have lost. There's no way when you... So, you know, we got the scraper out and <laughs> scraped the pictures. Because you, you got to starve that, not... Not starve attention to people or treating people kindly or giving them dignity, but starve the abuse of that. If you know that you're going to get together with a friend for coffee and most of the time, okay, you may pray 10% of the time, but 90% you're gossiping about that time. You need to know you got to starve that environment so that you could start speaking kindly about people and not tearing people down with uh, behind their backs. And so we got to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. A humble, dependent posture as you just go through life is going to help you. It's going to guard you against temptation. But the next thing we need to know is this. We need to be alert and aware of Satan's schemes. Reality about our world is it's not a beautiful place. It's not a good world. And to think, even if we can look outside and we can see the beauty of creation and everything, there's evil all around us. We can look and say, what a wonderful world. We can sing that song. But we're fooling ourselves to really know the evil. And I've traveled around this world, literally around this world. And there are cultures, there are places that look beautiful. And there are people. You, you all look beautiful today. Can I just say that? But I don't know what you said to your spouse on the way here. I don't know the thoughts or the words you said this week. Aren't you glad? Yeah, because we all deal, we all deal with that evil within us and that evil that's around us. And this world right now is under the control of the evil one named Satan. And I know we can go Saturday Night Live with Satan and go, Satan, and kind of, kind of make him sound like a myth or like a fairy tale. But the scriptures speak of evil in this world being controlled by Satan. This is not our father's world yet. And so anyone, this world is shown and Jesus came into darkness and the darkness loved darkness rather than light. But Jesus came into shine light, his truth and his works for us. And then we're, he calls us, we're, you shine as lights in this world so that man might see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So we've got to be alert. This is not, this is not a world that is kind to God. 
This is a world that's hostile towards him. And we, as followers of God through Christ, need to be alert and aware. Look what that continuation of 1 Peter says in verse 5, verse 8. It says this, be sober-minded. In other words, don't be so drunk on yourself that you miss out what's happening here. Be watchful. That's alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Um, this, is a, this is a statement about who Satan is and to be alert and aware of his schemes. But what are his schemes here? There's a few things. There's a few things that we can see here uh, that he is not for us. And ultimately, the, his goal for us is to be devoured, ruined, destroyed, devastated in life. And the target is, he targets those who are vulnerable and isolated and distracted, who aren't alert and aware. That's why it says, be sober-minded. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Humbly and dependently be alert and aware of what's happening in here. I don't know if you ever see that movie, Ghost in the Darkness is in 1994, so work with me, people, okay? And Val Kilmer was in it, so he's usually a lousy actor, but he did well in this one. Well, it's a story about two lions in Kenya, and the whole picture of this, of this association of Satan was a, was a creature that everyone feared at that time. It was rarely tamed, and when it's around, you always had to live with a knowledge of the danger that's in front of you. We don't live with lions that are in our backyards like people do in Kenya. We keep them locked up. But Siegfried and Roy could tell you that it's tough to lock up an animal like a lion or a tiger, right? Yeah, I mean, we kind of go, oh, could you imagine that happen? And I go, it's a, it's a tiger. It's a tiger. It's hard to tame them. I had a good friend of mine, or have, his name is Rick Tagg. He was, a, um, he was a missionary doctor in Kenya, and he ministered to the Maasai tribes. And he treated lion attacks when they would attack a, a Maasai boy or a, a woman or a child. And they would build up all around their huts. They would build up massive thorn bushes all around their huts to hear it. And they could hear it at night. They could hear the roar of the lions. So they were always aware and alert every night. We don't live with that imminency of danger around us. So we drop our guard and we just kind of relegate Satan to this off, off marginalized character that's not really real. And yet all around us, people are being devoured by him. Some of our lives have had failures that have, have been marks of his attacks on our lives. So let's look at this. Why, why, would, you know, why would Satan attack your life? Why, there's a few areas I've known my life is vulnerable to attack. And that's the first thing I want to talk to you about. Is there anything you're vulnerable for attack on Satan? One of the areas uh, you might be vulnerable are, is um, the area of incapacities or inabilities or a limitation or a challenge before you that presents for you an alternative then God's best for you. So if you've overspent and you're in debt and you're about to fill out a company expense report 
and you want to get reimbursed and you lie on that because you need more money. That's a real easy one. Or you're filling out your taxes and you go, man, I pay enough for taxes and I don't like the leadership here, so I'll cheat on this thing, you know. We choose that. Or we've been disrespected by someone or humiliated by someone, so we talk about them behind their back. That vulnerability, that rejection, that loss, that hurt, that pain is a vulnerability where you're open to temptation. You may have just ended a relationship that you thought was the one, but now you have this huge void and you feel like no one no one knows you or understands you and there's a temptation for you to jump right into the next relationship of anyone who breathes and says hello and becomes your Facebook friend. <laughs> we want to be careful. There's vulnerabilities in our lives. So we want to be alert and aware of that. And secondly, when we isolate ourselves, that's another area where Satan kind of attacks. Remember how a lion attacks? They look for the weak and the vulnerable and they look to isolate them away from the pack. That's why when we pray, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We're praying this as a family to join together, to look around to the left and the right of who's seated next to us. And yes, I want you to be led out of temptation. I want you to be delivered from evil. We're for each other. We've joined the pack. Which is why Hebrews says, don't neglect the meeting of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. But meet together, be the family of God, be the people of God, because strength is in numbers. When we're all confessing sin, when we're all calling it as it is, when we're all looking at the truth of God and following him together, there's power in that. Be alert. And then the other thing that makes my life vulnerable to Satan's attack is is distraction. When I just get distracted, it's so easy to get distracted in this world, whether it be a screen, whether it be a desire, whether it be a project over here, whether it be the next idea that we pursue. It's so easy for us to lose track of what's most important as we're living in all these distractions. All of us leave, all of those leave us vulnerable to Satan's attack. And that means that when we are tempted, that we also are responsive when we're tempted. Now, we can know about Satan, and we can know about our vulnerabilities, and we can even be in those environments where we're most likely to be tempted. A room that's separate from everyone else that we are looking at porn, or whatever that area is where we're vulnerable, we need to be responsive when we're tempted, so that when you're presented with an alternative to God's best for you, you actually act on it. We don't just go, oh, this is wrong. We go, no, this is wrong, and it's worse for my life than to turn and to follow Christ. Uh, That's why James would say earlier in the chapter, in in chapter 4, he said, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is kind of full on in in our faces on what the dangers of sin are in our lives. Cleanse your hands. In other words, stop playing with the mud and get washed by Jesus. Number two, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Don't try to serve the, the, the flesh and make room for the flesh at the same time you're enamored with the Spirit of God in your life and you like being around Christians. Why can't they be together? Why can't our hearts be single-minded and single-focused in our lives? This means as soon as we see it. Do you know those environments? Do you know those people? Do you know those places where you fall? 
you can walk away. With the Holy Spirit, he can tell you, move away from this. This is not the best place for you. You fell once, twice, three times a lady. I mean, you fell three times there. Don't fall again. We can start obeying God through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be responsive when we're tempted. Here's the heart of God. I want to lead you away from being tempted. I want to lead you away into life and away from this option. And I want to build in you a resistance so that you run to God on every time you are tempted. What happens when you're tempted? We've got to follow. We've got to follow God to lead us out of temptation. And that's why I love what Psalm 119 says. It says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Anyone who struggles with how you view people or look at people, this is a really important verse for you to memorize. God, literally take my eyes and turn my head up so I don't objectify people and so I look, don't look down on people. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and Lord, give me life in your ways. God, God's not just calling you, stop it. He's calling you, Now give me, walk, walk in my ways. And I think that's one of the things that we have to realize when we're tempted. If I don't do this, I'll have nothing is kind of our picture because we don't understand God God is moving us to life in his ways. And that's something in an evil world with evil impulses and with desires that are contrary to God's best for us. We're tempted and that's why we get called back to who God is in his way. And that's why when you're tempted, it's good to memorize a verse in that area where you're tempted. Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Whatever you're dealing with, whether it's anger, man, that's one I've had to work on. I've had to memorize four or five different verses because when I'm tempted to get angry, look out. I'm going to say things, I'm going to do things that don't bring glory to God. And so I've memorized five of those verses that when I'm tempted, I can do. Why? Jesus gave us that example when he was tempted by Satan. He, quip, he quoted Old Testament scriptures three times with each temptation. Uh, he had each of the three temptations. He quoted a passage in scripture because he hid God's word. That was for an example for us to follow. And so we follow God. And then we need to trust God to deliver us. We need to trust God to deliver us. And this is uh, in reference to evil. There's evil in our world. There's evil around us. And there's some evil that comes into our life that we didn't plan, that we didn't make a decision. It, wasn't, it didn't happen to us because we were vulnerable or weren't alert and aware of what, what's happening in the world today. Some evil just happens. What do we do when that happens? What do we do when we fall into evil? What do we do when we sin? Because we need to realize we're not, I used to think when I was a kid, I grew up in the church, so basically from five years old to 12 year olds, I, I used to think every time I sinned, oh, I wasn't God's child anymore. I need to invite Jesus back into my heart. And so I asked Jesus into my heart about a thousand times growing up. I was, he's really in there now, you know, I've asked him that many times. And that's a real typical thing as I talk to kids. They just realize God doesn't love you for what you've done. He doesn't love you because you're performing or because you've measured up if you've accomplished this. He loves you because he's a loving God and he chose to love you as his child. And so we've got to respond to his love. And when we sin, we need to run back to our heavenly father. 
We need to seek his forgiveness and seek his restoration. And when we fall into sin, we need to realize we need to have a spirit that's repentant when we sin, that calls it for what it is and turns and turns. I like what John says when he's teaching the church, and it was an immature church, on how to handle their sin. They didn't really thought they were that bad of sinners, and yet they weren't loving each other. So he ultimately says to them in 1 John, hey, if anyone says that they have no sin, and yet they don't love their brother, how can the love of God be in them? And so he says here, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we have an advocate. When we sin, we come back to our Heavenly Father. And that means repentance means you call it the way God sees it, and you turn to trust and follow Jesus to deliver you. So wherever you're at right now, if God, through his Spirit and his Word today, just convicts you of sin in your life, of anything that's destructive, that you might have had the pattern or are in the pattern of doing right now. Turn from it, folks, because it will burn you. It will devour you. And I, I mean, God is passionately committed to delivering you from evil. Can I tell you something? I as a church family, we've been involved not just in helping people get delivered from evil, but to going to places in our city that are really, really dark, that have realities of evil in them far beyond what I grew up with. And we're bringing the light of the gospel into those environments. It is not easy work. And it's so easy to say, we're going to go and make a difference in that neighborhood. And It's been five years, and there's been some days where we go three steps back. And we wonder, are we really making a difference here? If you want to make a difference in this world, there will be days when evil will seem like it's winning. But don't give up. Don't give up. In your own life, don't give up. There are going to be times when you fall. None of us are here because we are awesome, you know, performance people. None of us are here because we deserve to have the forgiveness of Jesus All of us are here because we can have it because it's freely given to us. We call it sin and we turn from it. And we keep trusting in Christ. Be repentant when we sin. Secondly, be removed from guilt. One of the things about evil is it will come back to taunt you when you're delivered from it. It's unrelenting. And what God wants you to know is when he takes sin away from you, he takes it far away. As far as the east is from the west. So our sins are removed from us. And we need to realize that. that The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 9 says this. If if there was once a sacrificial lamb that paid and covered your sin, then how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I love that passage because that's where we are in evil. Dead works to God. It's as if we're dead to God. But what God wants to do is to remind us, he wants to take away guilt and shame. And if you've had a moral failure in your life, where you've had to start from zero again with trust in your family relationships, with your employees, or whatever, if you've had a moral failure, you're going to have the temptation of, you're worthless. You can't do this. What a failure you are, and you need to be reminded. That's going to move you right back into the cycle of evil if you don't listen to who you are in Christ. And the Spirit is in your life to remind you who you are. 
let the Spirit of God remove you of that guilt and shame and live as a forgiven child of God. And the final thing is that you're ultimately... Oh, I forgot this. Let me give you this. Paul was focused on living with a good conscience. That means living a life without regrets. He said in Acts 24, 16, he says, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. This coming Thursday, I'm going to be in Israel, and I'm going to be at Caesarea by the sea, where he said these words to Felix, the governor of that area. I can't wait. I love that area. It's right on the Mediterranean Sea. You can hear the waves. And Paul was talking and defending the gospel in that environment there. And you can almost hear him speaking in this court that's still standing today. Because he was absolutely committed to living under the freedom that Christ set for him and gave him. He didn't want to live with guilt and shame. And so many times when we struggle with a sin, we go, there's just no use. It's going to happen. Look what the devil made me do today. And we, we can feel helpless. But what God wants to do is remove that guilt from us. I don't go through a week where I don't hear voices of, of uh, just a negative thought in my mind saying, you're worthless. What kind of pastor are you? That happens. That happens. I'm thankful it doesn't happen every day. But I hear that. I hear that. And what do I do? That's my conscience tearing me down. And I need to hear the word of God to me that he set me free. He wants to remove that guilt from me. And then finally, this, we want to be restored. We want to live restored to God. Look what Paul says to the church in Rome. He says, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you, look at this, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. If you're a parent, grandparent, aunt or uncle, pray for your kids this way. I want you to be wise as to what is good. I want my kids experienced in following the good of God, but I want them inexperienced in following evil. And Paul would say then, as you endure now, you got to realize this is going to happen. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. These are kind of two things, contrasting elements here. There will be a time when God crushes evil. And don't you love that? It's kind of like, the God of peace will soon crush under his feet. Ha! God wins, right? And then he goes into, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. <laughs> so you have the, the judgment of God, and then you have the kindness of God in this mix. In other words, as you live in an evil world, live by grace church, live by grace. Everything's been done by Christ. He wouldn't lead you out of sin and out of evil to bring anything that would devastate your life. He has your best in mind. Whatever you think you're giving up to follow God's leading in your life, whatever you think you're going to lose by being delivered from evil, trust me, God has something better for you. So you can pray, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank for each person who's in this room today. Lord, as you scatter them around this community and around this region in just a few minutes, we want to go and live as children of our Heavenly Father who live this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray this in the name and for the glory of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.